for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Over the last two decades, the American Mall, that one-time citadel of commerce, has undergone profound transformation. Across the South, that's meant saying a teary goodbye to the malls of my Georgia youth, with their big-box department stores like Rich's and quirky retailers like Spencer's Gifts, with their odd and compelling food vendors like Orange Julius. The mall as we know it has changed. All hail the new mall. Specifically, the International Mall at 8th and York Streets in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, which serves that city in new ways. We have goat, camel, beef, chicken, pretty much all kinds of meat, especially the best seller is camel meat, which comes all the way from Australia. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. Today, reporter Roxanne Scott takes us inside a mall that serves as a social nexus for a Kentucky Somali community. Is there not any other Put it in a box. Yeah, put it in a box. Every morning, you know, we have to, she has to prepare the book. So she has to cut it up and really make it into balls and really fold it, fold it. And then she cuts it up like this into four pieces and then she fries them. Somalis, especially, is something kind of a Mediterranean thing because Somalis are Muslims. And especially during the Ramadan, they buy a lot of dates. So it's one of the big sellers during the, uh, the month of Ramadan. The International Mall, also known as the Somali International Mall, occupies a former industrial building and sits at the intersection of Old Louisville and West Louisville. A few blocks away is downtown Louisville, where tourists drink bourbon on 4th Street Live. The mall, which is about three-quarters of an acre, houses a restaurant, a grocery store, a coffee shop, a jewelry store, a hair salon, a place to transfer money, and an accountant. There's even a daycare. For many communities that feel under siege, a benign space like a mall is needed now more than ever. People have like misconstrued ideas and they have different perceptions. Kind of, there's like a negative connotation surrounding Somalia and Somali people, especially with like the political climate in the United States right now. That's Hadan Mohammed, who lives in Columbus, Ohio, a three hour drive from Louisville. She's a frequent visitor to a similar mall in Columbus. I was at the Somali mall just yesterday. They're important to to Somali people and they're just important to our culture because we are such a tight-knit community. It's important for us to have a little piece of back home here. Hadan Mohammed is 22 years old. 
I run a food blog called How Then Eats on Instagram. And I'm also the food editor for 1991 Zine, a Somali magazine by Somalis for Somalis. She tells me more about the most important flavors and ingredients of Somali cuisine. Our rice, we call it biris, and it's fragrant, it's spicy, it has all sorts of different things, delicious. Somalis love their saffron. We love our cinnamon, cardamom, clove, and we love our, our chilies, 100%. Those flavors and ingredients can be found in nearly every corridor of this space. On Friday mornings, Muhammad Abi Abdallah and his mother get to the International Mall early. Normally 8, but on Fridays, 7, because the workload is a lot more. They're in the kitchen of Amanka restaurant making treats like sambusa, a deep-fried triangular-shaped snack that's filled with meat or vegetables. The dish originally comes from the Middle East and is similar to the Indian samosa. Well, it's a traditional breakfast, Somalian way. Muhammad and his mother are owners of Amanka, which is the first restaurant you'll see when you enter the glass doors and cross the chipped, faded red floor of the International Mall. Amanka opens at 11 a.m. The reason Muhammad and his mother are here so early today is to make their Friday special sur, or ugali if you're Kenyan, a cornmeal-based doughy dish rolled up into a ball. You can eat it in multiple ways. People eat it with, my mom, she likes to eat it with buttermilk. Buttermilk and some sugar. And she just makes it into a bowl and that's how she eats it. And that's not the only thing they're making. It's called bur. Basically, it's just bread. It's just fried bread. It's like donut. And? Halwa. That's uh, sweet. It's a Somali sweet. A jelly-like dish that's made of cornstarch and spices such as cardamom and cloves. Somalis love to have that and serve it to the guests when they come over and stuff like that. That's, that's, yeah, or weddings. Muhammad is 22 years old. I am second of nine. I was born in Kenya and I was three months old and that's when we came to America. I don't know what to really call myself, American or Kenyan, I don't know. Muhammad and his family were in a refugee camp in Kenya before they came to the United States. According to the United Nations, from 1990 to 2015, the number of Somalis in the diaspora more than doubled to 2 million people. Mass migration out of the country was driven by the decades-long civil war, which began in 1991 with the ousting of Mohamed Siad Ber. More on the year 1991 in a bit. The Center for American Progress, the progressive think tank, indicates Louisville has a population of more than 1,500 Somali refugees in the city. That's the 14th largest Somali population in the U.S. behind Portland, Oregon. Columbus, Ohio, where Hadan Muhammad lives, has the second largest Somali population in the U.S. One of the first group of Somalis to be resettled in Louisville after the breakdown of Somalia is 58-year-old Abner Saidi. On May 31st, 1996. In 2002, Saidi opened a store called the Derby Dollar near Churchill Downs. I had some connections overseas, so I imported some small packages of things that people need, like clothing, perfumes, and, and other things. Food also we sold. M- many of the cuisines and foods that we use are similar to Indian, Pakistani, African and Arabian foods, so that they are all available here in the U.S., so you buy it in bulk. Saidi remembers a time when the International Mall didn't exist. 
people. There was nothing that people come and gather. There was a restaurant, there was groceries, and people will just go and meet, uh, even though those places are not designed to meet people. A lot of times, Somalis used to go Starbucks or some uh, other towns, they go Dunkin' Donuts. But the community wanted a gathering space that felt more like home. In 2008, Abdi Omar opened the International Mall. Soon after, vendors, entrepreneurs, and restaurateurs began populating the space. Louisville isn't the only place where the Somali diaspora put down roots and began to share a taste of their own culinary culture with their new neighbors. Hawa Hassan is a former model and now founder of the condiment company Best Best, which sells traditional Somali sauces. And I live in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. This is home, New York City's home. She was resettled in Seattle when she was seven years old. Later, her mom was resettled in Norway. She didn't see her mother again until 15 years later, when she was planning her next career move. I didn't feel like I was really being seen in the way that I wanted to be seen. I wasn't bringing my full self to the job anymore. And so I thought if I go home to Oslo, if I'm with my mom, who's also an entrepreneur, for three to four months, then I could figure out a way for me to change my career and for me to have a better conversation about what it means to be Somali. She didn't think she'd be doing that through sauces. She says she was more thinking of having a green juice company or teaching black and brown kids about food waste. So when I got to Oslo, my mom was like, oh, yeah, well, that's trendy in Norway. So I can only imagine what it is in New York. You should think of something else. (laughs) For her, food is not only a way to connect to her family in Somalia. It's a way for her to create her own narrative around Somalia. After eight years modeling, She says why food was a better path to do that. The more I talked to my mom, the more I I realized what bothered me the most about modeling is that I wasn't in control of my own narrative. And I wasn't really unhappy with modeling. I was really unhappy with the way I was being told who I was. And I figured if I came back to New York and if I created these sauces that my family and I love so much then I could be in charge of the rhetoric in terms of, no, this is what Somali is. This is where we are in in, in Africa. No, 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 no. We have a spice trade that ran through Somalia. This is what it looks like. That's why our flavors are that way, because Italy colonized us. And so it really was born out of trying to connect with my roots, trying to be closer to my mom, trying to change my career, wanting to change the rhetoric. Executive Order 13769, issued on January 27, 2017, prohibited individuals from seven majority Muslim countries from entering the United States. Somalia was one of those countries. Somali deportation is on the rise as well. Everyday places like a mall feel like a haven now more than ever. After the break, we learn more about what the year 1991 means to Somalis and how that year shaped the Somali diaspora. If you enjoy listening to Gravy, check out Garden and Gun Magazine's podcast, The Whole Hog. Upcoming episodes explore all facets of Southern culture, including music, literature, and of course, food. 
Later this season, The Whole Hog interviews longtime SFA member Chef Eddie Hernandez of Atlanta's Taqueria del Sol. He'll dish on his new cookbook, 70s Rock and Roll, and the secret to his famous turnip greens. You won't want to miss it. Find Garden and Guns Whole Hog on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You may also find it at gardenandgun.com slash podcast. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Next to a Manka restaurant in Louisville's International Mall, make a left in the long hallway and you'll see the World Food Market. World Food Market is not your typical grocery store. The 3,000 square foot store sells many things to the East African community like silverware, tea, olive oil, and candy. But there's a lot of one thing you'll notice when you walk into World Food Market. There is a lot of pasta in this store, and I'd like to know why. All right. Uh, This pasta, I think the majority of the consumers are the Somalis. Uh, They were colonized by uh, the Italians, and pasta is an Italian food. That's Ibrahim Ahmed, the manager of World Food Market. I started way back in 2011. He's 30 years old and was born in Kenya. Actually, there's a difference between nationality and ethnicity. Ethnically, I'm Somali. And the nationality, I'm a Kenyan. I'm confused. So Ibrahim explains. So Somalis live in Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, Djibouti. So they are spread all over those places. Those born in Djibouti, they are Somalis, but nationality, they are Djiboutians. Those born in Ethiopia, they are Ethiopians, but ethnically, they are Somalis. Same with me. Along with my purchase of cinnamon sticks and butter, I also got a history lesson from Ibrahim. Uh, Let me explain this way. You know, during the colonial period, the British, they colonized East Africa. So what they did was, the whole of Somalis lived along the Horn of Africa. So when they were creating uh, borders, some Somalis, some of the Somalis living in Kenya, they were told uh, they would be part of Kenya. Those living along the border with Ethiopia, they were told they would be part of Ethiopia. So anybody who was in that borderline became part of that country. The country Somalia became independent in 1960. Abner Saidi, the former owner of Derby Dollar, was about a year old at the time. I was born in a town called uh, Marka. It's about 70 miles south of Mogadishu. Italians called the paradise of Somalia. Marka has ocean, rivers, mountains, and land. I lived in a beach house, and I really missed it. We used to play uh, soccer and go to... uh, the beach and then uh, swim and uh, usually we used to play the soccer on the beach and then go movies and things like that but it was a fun but it's all gone. Saidi was in his early 30s in 1991 when Somalia's civil war began. I would say that you pack your life and run. 
that's all you have to do. It's nothing else. You don't have time for anything else. That was how bad it was uh, for some areas uh, that we were. And uh, year 91 was disaster. It's when my family broke up. It's when my mom became an entrepreneur. It's the first time in my whole life that I remember not being a kid. I grew up very much with a wild imagination, beaches on Sundays, papaya trees, my grandfather's country house on the weekends, you know, making tea for my mom and her friends on like a lazy afternoon to really having some responsibilities. Hadan explains how the year 1991 led to a Somali diaspora. So technically 1991 is the year the Somali civil war broke out. The then president Siad Bare was his name. His administration was ousted by a bunch of rival opposition groups. Thousands died. You know, hundreds of thousands of others were displaced all over the world. But culturally, uh, 1991, the year, basically represents something different to everybody, I think. But to me personally, it's essentially the start of the Somali diaspora as we know it now, you know? I think that's when a lot of interesting, like, intersections started to form, I think. That's when a lot of Somali people, like I said, were displaced. Lots of them came to the United States, Canada, Europe, all over. And that's how, that's how we became Somali-Americans, Somali-Canadians, you know what I mean? Culture started forming and meshing and just kind of, th that's when the melting pot of Somali started to form. Exit the World Food Market, make a left in the hallway, and you'll see the African coffee shop. But this isn't just a place to buy coffee. More than 100 men, yes, all of them men, are sitting in chairs. The small coffee shop is crammed. There are two flat screens with two games of soccer. The big draw today is the Barcelona versus Chelsea game. Soccer is a popular sport in the country, as well as in the diaspora. Parks and fields in Louisville are sometimes filled with Somalis and other nationalities playing soccer. 20-year-old Abdi Rahman Hassan is among the crowd in the coffee shop. I came here today because uh, actually I'm off of work, so it's like a kind of fun day. I don't have anywhere else to go. And I just found out that there's a game, a big game today, so... Why not have fun with my friends and watch the game? 34-year-old Abdenor Ismail owns the coffee shop. When he came to the United States in 2009, he was first resettled in San Diego. When I was like uh, working for three years in San Diego, I tried to make a business. That's why I came here to look at business, because there is a lot of opportunity here. If I go to Minnesota, it's too hard to get the opportunity. Minnesota has the largest Somali diaspora in the United States. More than 80,000 Somalis live in the state. Progressive Minnesota has a precedent of accepting refugees. The infrastructure is there to accept resettled refugees, including refugees from Vietnam and Bosnia. That doesn't mean Somalis and other groups don't face discrimination. But Minnesota's large Somali population is why Abdenor didn't want to move there. The state is brimming with Somali businesses. Ismail figured it was too much competition. 
most other things, the life is cheap here. He originally wanted to open a warehouse. Some Somalis, when resettled in the U.S., work in warehouses and food processing plants. Yeah, because when I come here, I, I think there's no Somalian coffee shop here when I, come, when I come here. So I think if I open a coffee shop, I will make some money. I will, it will be better than warehouse. That's what I thought. Traditionally, Somalis consume fried coffee beans and they're often devoured during spiritual ceremonies. Many times it's eaten with popcorn or boiled beans. But coffee shops in the Somali diaspora in the U.S. have a significant role. From coffee shops in strip malls to downtown areas across the United States, these spaces are also meeting places for, mostly men, to gather and chat about politics and other issues back home. Coffee here is $2. Everything else, like the pastries he sells, is a dollar. And on those days when there's more than 100 people watching soccer, he doesn't charge people to watch the game. You make things so cheap. To get a customer. Because if I make it expensive, I know my, most of my people, they work at a warehouse. They get like $11 or $10 or $9. They don't have to say, it. it's a dollar, you can buy it. It's easy. No excuses. <laughs> Back at a Manka restaurant, beyond the dining room, there's an open room filled with bananas, cornmeal, and other supplies. And on this day, a small group of women are getting henna done in preparation for a wedding. 23-year-old Rueda Abdallah, sister of Mohammed, who we met earlier, is helping her mom in the restaurant today. She was two years old when she came to the United States. She's a full-time student and wants to be a nurse. Rueda has a complicated relationship with the United States and Somalia. Rueda visited Somalia once in 2012 when she was 17 years old. And things were not like safe there, like as it is now. Like now I feel like the situation has kind of bettered, but when I went there, Al-Shabaab still had the majority um, government rule. And I remember just being, like one time we were traveling in Al-Shabaab because um, I wasn't allowed to talk because I can't speak my language very well. well. I can, but I have a very strong Western accent. And my mom was like, don't say anything, keep your face covered. It was just, I couldn't walk alone. Just She thought I would get kidnapped for ransom. If they found out I was from the U.S., I would get killed. Despite that, she felt a sense of belonging there. In Louisville, she says she often feels othered in her largely white neighborhood. She says the stares she receives from certain neighbors are communicating that. She does not belong here. And that, that offends me somehow. Because, and it offends me because I've been in America my whole life. And this is my only home I've really known. But then when I went back there, I felt, I felt like I was being, like, even though it's scary to be in that government situation, I felt like I was, I was home, but I wasn't home. So it's just, I don't know. But America's always going to be my home. From Louisville to New York, Somalis in the United States are framing their own narrative on what it means to be Somali through food and through spaces like the Somali International Mall. I mean, I'm using, I'm using these condiments and it's so much more deeper than condiments, right? It's a discussion, it's a, it's a conversation, it's a gateway, it's a welcome, this is who I am. It's a, you know, it's a family, I always talk about this, but it's a family in Wisconsin eating sauces that say Somali food on them and then saying, 
oh my God, I've tried, I tried Somali food and gifting the condiments to someone else. And so I think for me, one of the biggest component to changing the narrative, no matter where you are, is through food, it's through touch, it's through scent, you know, it's through smell. And so the sauces are doing a wonderful job of not only adding to the conversation, but bringing something new to the table and saying, guys, here's, here's a part of Somalia. The difference here is people feel home here. Roxanne Scott is a reporter based in Louisville, Kentucky, who previously reported the gravy episode, Stories from the Hem of My Mother's Apron. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick, donor music by Jazar. Managing editor for this podcast and all other SFA content is Sarah Camp Milam, and our intern is Monique Laborde. Learn more about the shops in the International Mall and the music used in this episode at southernfoodways.org. While you're there, please consider a donation. Your gifts make gravy and all other SFA media possible.